The following is brought to you by TheKnowledge.com, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for July 28th, 2021. It's your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you from Austin, Texas. We actually got some news in in today's episode. I know that is few and far between as we are on the dark side of the political calendar, but... Uh, infrastructure, bipartisan infrastructure. Will they? Won't they? Are they going to do it? Can they get together? What is actually stopping this bipartisan deal from happening? And if and when it totally implodes, what's the next step? All of that discussed. Also, the January 6th commission has officially gaveled in They had their first day of testimony. What is at stake? Whether or not the Republicans are going to pay for the fact that this is now a totally partisan-driven process and some comparisons to other commissions, including Benghazi. I don't know whether or not that that annoys people. I'm sure it annoys some people when I compare the January 6th commission to Benghazi, but I do think that it is important to to look at them in context. And then if you don't think that that's real, then you can dismiss it. Also, uh, this is a weird interview that we're gonna that we're gonna do because I had on somebody that I know is very funny, Brian Sack. Hilarious comedian, great writer. And when I asked him what he wanted to talk about, he mentioned that there was like a a thing he had a personal window into. And it involves what I'm going to say is critical race theory, understanding that when I say that, depending on your political leanings, you understand it to mean different things. But The idea that our education needs to be revised so we can allow in some of the ideas that our culture has accepted over the last few years, specifically in our, in, you know, I guess it could be derisively called the woke culture, right? But that is the topic. And specifically, you are going to hear Brian Sack not as a comedian. There are precious few jokes in this interview, but rather as a father who is in the middle of a school fighting with itself over how far and how necessary some of the uh, uh, diversity interventionism is. And I think this is an open conversation. 
you know, uh, as you're going to hear, Brian's got his own POV on it. And, and it's a POV that I think is important to understand in the context of that's that dude's son in the middle of it. But it, it, it's an interesting conversation and, and I'm glad to have it on here. It's raw. It's certainly not uh, walking the analytical line. It's not walking the comedic line that we very often do. But if the 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 ability of this you know dark side of the moon in the political calendar gives us is that we can try to spread our our, our wings a little bit and try different things, then this is going to be one of those different things. I hope you guys stay and listen to it. I found it to be a fascinating conversation. We'll get to that. But first. We were supposed to have bipartisan infrastructure on Monday. We didn't. And now the entire process looks a little bleak. Is the fact that we have 11th hour stalling, scraping, and screaming a sign that this will definitely get done because the only time to fight the loudest is when you know that you will very quickly no longer be fighting? Or is that fat lady ready to do ray me? All right, before we get into it, uh, a real, real, real quick preamble for those of you that are just catching up on this. Infrastructure has been a thing that every modern president has wanted to do because on its face, it's very popular. The problem is it's very popular. And so anything in Congress that is very popular means that other things are going to get stapled to it because it seems very likely that it's going to happen. So, it never happens. Everybody talks about it, nobody does it. Meanwhile, the one thing that even the most hardcore uh, fiscal conservative and tax and spend liberal can agree on is that we should probably fix the roads and we should fix the bridges and the tunnels too. And, you know, even we're, we're, we're coming to an increasing understanding that Broadband is also important and much in the same way that we electrified areas of our country so we could bring elements of the Midwest and the South into modernity. We should probably do the same with broadband. So all that, let's just go ahead. Look, we are the richest country in the world. Let's peel off a few and and let's make this thing right, huh? And if anybody could agree on anything, we probably would. But we can't, so we don't. And lo, we have our most modern attempt. And Biden was going to do it with a reconciliation package. And then he gives the nod for there to be a group of around 10 to 20, although the number fluctuates, bipartisan senators who say that they can put together a deal that if all the Democrats vote for it, it only takes 10 Republicans. There's 10 Republicans on the crew they can agree to make this thing happen. Settle at a number around uh, 1.4, 1.6 trillion. It's like 600 billion in brand new spending. 
Joe Biden thinks it's such a great idea that as soon as they come up with an agreement, Biden goes and has a press conference about how great it is. So then they have to go and write the some bitch. And they try. And they try. And they try. And they get close. And then they try. And then they get close. And then they take one step back. And then they take two, two steps forward. And then... You know, we get to a point where Chuck Schumer's trying to goose it along last week. That doesn't work. But here we go. This is a, a via political. These are the last sticking points. And you can tell that there are 20 senators involved because these sticking points are kind of hilarious. Here we go. A Democratic source familiar with the bipartisan discussions said that the Democrats' counteroffer included accepting a GOP proposal for highways in exchange for a Democratic proposal on transit. But Republicans dispute that characterization. A GOP source familiar with the negotiations said that the choice isn't binary and that the GOP offer on transit was, quote, met with silence for three days. And people wonder why I like to focus on elections and not governing. We continue. Funding for water infrastructure remains unsolved, according to a Democratic source familiar with the talks, who accused Republicans of backing away from the original agreement. That source said that Mitt Romney had reneged on a deal and proposed something completely unworkable, end quote. A spokesperson for Romney called that, quote unquote, laughably false and said that Schumer is seeking 15 billion more than the previous agreement. Meanwhile, Senate Environment and Public Works Chair Tom Carper from Delaware and Senator Tammy Duckworth of Illinois both raised concerns about funding last week. The snafu illustrates the tricky challenge of the group of rank-and-file senators led by Kirsten Cinema and Portman has in, uh, in navigating around committee chairs. Hachi Machi. Meanwhile, not everybody wants this thing to even happen. For example, progressive Democrats are going to want to call time on this. They say, hey, guys, you go ahead and uh, you negotiated enough. You couldn't do it. Sorry. Too bad. So sad. Because they want to move on to their own priority. And that's passing the big reconciliation bill that they would only need all of the Democratic senators to do. That bill includes all of these soft infrastructure. So not the roads, bridges, tunnels ports, but also social programs, climate change stuff at all. Now, that bill is currently pegged around $3 trillion, but could balloon from there if the bipartisan deal goes tits up and then all that funding needs to be put into the reconciliation deal after all. But if you're the progressives, and you're excited that the bipartisan deal isn't exactly going smoothly right now, you might want to be careful what you wish for. Because Joe Manchin, the perpetual thorn in their side, says that when it comes to his vote, the reconciliation deal without the bipartisan deal is much in the way that Frank Sinatra described love and marriage. You can't have one without the other. So, if they want, they being the progressives, pronouns pal, to have Joe Manchin on their side, then they need to give him room for the bipartisan bill. Now, I know that we have said on this show that this is the week that we're going to know what happens with the bipartisan infrastructure bill. 
And each week, I swear we could have. And then nothing happened. And then people kind of bickered. But normally when they bicker, when they yell at each other, they start drawing partisan lines. And you can kind of know that this thing is like coming to an end because it, it'll disintegrate and it'll look ugly disintegrating. And up until this point, you know, they've everybody involved, the power players, have kind of kept their mouths shut. They haven't really had much to say about it. But over the last 48 hours, we've seen some cheap shots. We've seen Chuck Schumer come out and say, well, I really hope that these bipartisan GOP senators don't take their marching orders from Donald Trump, who says that they should walk away. And it's that kind of pressure that could bring this situation to a head. The January 6th commission has gaveled in. The initial session involved viewing footage from the attack on the Capitol, as well as testimony from the Capitol Police and Metro D.C. officers, both, as they have always been, are compelling. Evidence that something very, very bad happened. And look, political violence is something that Americans talk a lot about but never really have a stomach for. For every person that you've ever met that blithely likes to quote, the tree of liberty must be refreshed with the blood of patriots and tyrants, and then takes a very deep drag from their clove cigarette, there's more than enough people that wince when you see the footage of Officer Daniel Hodges screaming for help while being crushed in a door during the January 6th riots. But a reminder here, the question with these hearings is not if January 6th was an ugly black mark on history. The question is what more we can learn about it and if anyone can be persuaded to think anything different about January 6th via these hearings. Politically, the GOP now has to pay the price for their decision to not have any representation on this panel. You know, they could have backed the bipartisan framework, which would have guaranteed equal seats without there being one person that could veto who was the representation like Nancy Pelosi now does. But the Republicans walked away from that assuming that this was going to be a circus no matter what, and they'd rather the Democrats own it. Well, now they got their wish, and the Democrats will own it, and they will do anything that they want with it, and they will look to punish the Republican Party as much as they can. Now, instead of part of the larger narrative of this panel being infighting amongst it, the Republicans will have to put their talking points out separately and, quite frankly, have it covered a lot less than the hearings themselves will be covered. Now, I've compared the January 6th commission to Benghazi before, and I know that to some of you that might come off as dismissive because of what Benghazi eventually became shorthand for that being an overblown character assassination attempt on Hillary Clinton. But still, when you listen 
to the stories of what happened in Benghazi, the actual event, the tragedy that happened that led to a death, they are harrowing. And these January 6th stories are similarly harrowing. There are dead people as a result of these awful situations. But the question with the Benghazi hearings was if anybody could be swayed to believe that the State Department or the White House were reckless or malicious in their handling of that situation. And similarly, for the January 6th Commission, the question is if anybody in a position of power was reckless or malicious in their handling of that situation. We will see if the committee is able to call high-ranking Republicans, including some sitting representatives. Lauren Boebert, Louis Gomer, Paul Gozer, the list goes on. There's also been a call to bring Donald Trump or Donald Trump's family or some of his close advisors. The understanding, at least based on what I've read of the reporting, is that none of this is likely. And even if they were speaking before the panel, they probably wouldn't say much. However, this does make for the unofficial re-debut of Donald Trump himself into the mainstream. After peppering his mailing list with updates about the various volunteer recount efforts, this puts Trump squarely back where he and quite frankly, the Democrats like him, at the center of attention. Expect to see much more mainstream media coverage of Trump's no doubt vile, day-by-day, if not hour-by-hour, reaction to these proceedings. Watch for the fact that he's going to produce counter-narratives, which he's already done. The latest being that Nancy Pelosi is the real person who should be blamed because she did not call for more security when she knew a rowdy crowd was coming to D.C. The fact that this connects to Donald Trump being the person that called for the rowdy crowd to show up. uh, I mean, try not to think about it too hard. Still, Trump is back. And whether or not this January 6th commission reconvinces a single person, I can understand the strategy from the Democrats' perspective to say the more that Donald Trump is speaking for the Republican Party, the less the Republican Party can speak for itself. Or, more to the point, credibly make the conversation about Joe Biden. Thank you to everybody who has supported this show. We are uh, you know, trying to do some fun stuff here. Going to be out of podcast movement. Oh, yeah, by the way, podcast movement, Nashville. I'm going to be out there. It's definitely happening. And we are having a meetup. So, Nashville, Tennessee, Music City. We've got myself... The Political Orphanages, Andrew Heaton, and Congressional Dishes, Jen Briney, 
the political triad. Who, by the way, I'm going to meet the three. We will. The three of us will hang out for the first time in Nashville live. Everything else has been over the internet. You will be able to hang out with us as well at Scoreboard in Nashville, August 5th at five o'clock. Five o'clock somewhere. Uh, ask out early from work. Head on down. Scoreboard. That's in the Grand Ole Opry complex. So it's not downtown. A little outside of downtown. 5 p.m. August 5th. Political triad meetup. This some bitch is going to be outside. I fully reserved the right to bail after an hour if I feel like I'm about to catch the Delta, but I don't think I will. I think I'm going to hang out. I think we're going to have a great time together, and I'm very excited to actually have a a, a convention meetup. Again, if you're going to be a podcast movement, then, uh, then it is a must attend because we are right next to the convention center there. Again, that is the Political Triad Meetup, August 5th, 5 p.m. at Scoreboard in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have spent any time in the political crevices of social media, you have no doubt heard about critical race theory. We have talked about it once before on this show with our esoteric, cosmic, philosophic uh, uh, buddy, Kevin Ryan. But I'm excited for you guys to listen to this. And that is the voice of a father of somebody who is dealing with what I'm going to only colloquially so you can put a handle on on this conversation. Just understand that when I say critical race theory or or anything else, I'm I'm using it as a gigantic bucket that I know contains two vastly different definitions. And what this definition is is the fact that there is a review of curriculum in schools of virtually all levels going on in the country. And it's a natural reaction to a societal change that has happened over the past few years. The idea that we are now more cognizant than we had been before. Woke, if you will. What is the responsibility for a school system to adjust to a changing world? How much change is too much change? And if you empower somebody to radically redefine a structure, what is the responsibility to that person to understand when they might have gone too far? I will point out that this, again, is not a funny interview. So despite the fact that Brian is a very funny comedian and writer, there's not going to be a lot of jokes here. This is a father who is very, very, very passionate about his son's education and upbringing. 
And so, we welcome Brian Sack. Welcome to the show, Brian. Hi, Justin. Thanks for having me. I have tried on this show to stay away from critical race theory as a conversation online because I found it to be exceptionally stupid. I don't think that anybody's talking in with any kind of uh, good faith, which is another phrase that I hate good and bad faith arguments. But like uh, uh, it's it is a, a peak element of two things that I loathe. Number one. Subjects where both sides are not even talking about the same thing and yet they share a name for it so they can beat up on it. And two, issues that are made larger because we are on the dark side of the moon of the political calendar. And so now the summer of the shark stories wind up becoming larger because we literally just need something to fill all of our airwaves and and content holes. That being said, when we were talking about you coming on, you mentioned that (laughs) this is not just a random social media issue. You have actually had boots on the ground uh, 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 problems with, with this, with this entire controversy because of your child's school. So, so lay out where does Brian Sack, the father intersect with critical race theory, the cultural argument in your personal life? Okay. Well, first, I mean, I think critical race theory, it's not the right name for it because it encompasses more than just race and more is gender and sexuality and stuff, but let's just call it that whatever. Yeah. Um, so my son's school, it was a, pri- a private school. And uh, when he started as a middle school three years ago, uh, I, I saw that they had hired someone to do diversity, equity, inclusion as an administrator for that. And okay. I kind of I, I knew that that was an ideological uh, position. I knew these people are kind of activists. And, and so I was a little wary um, and I looked up her. She went by doctor. So I looked up her dissertation. And it was 319 pages of buzzwords. It was all, you know, uh, whiteness and uh, dias- African diaspora and privilege and uh, legacy of genocide. Like it was just, you know, it was what you would expect. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of, you know, I, I kind of watched to, to see what happened. So most of the stuff was on the surface, I thought, like hiring speakers who would come in and, and talk about whiteness and stuff like that, which is kind of, you know, you, you bite your tongue. But you just you go along with it. They create affinity groups for you know black students, Hispanic students, Asian students, uh, gay and uh, you know gender students, which stuff we, like I, that. I think I think to that point, at least yeah. from my experience in a public school, uh, uh, we're not that far off. Like if you if you replace speakers with videos, and you replace you know maybe maybe beefed up a few of the the uh, uh, groups for you know a pride amongst various communities. That right. doesn't seem too much of a, a a departure from from public schooling the way that I remember it. So a private school, I, I could I could kind of get it. Yeah, you have your groups, and you know, and I have mixed feelings on that. And one end, I understand, you know, wanting to hang out, but you know, the other thing is like, you know, my wife is uh, from Poland, and when she first came to the states, I tried to introduce her to groups of Polish people. She's like, I grew up with Polish people. I, I want to hang out with Americans and other people. Yeah. So that you know, so my view of like affinity groups is like, yeah, maybe you should just get out and hang out with everybody. Yeah. But whatever. So. Um, and, you know, there was that. And and then there would be the, you know, the occasional um, email she would send out to the school that was kind of a little bit like a little, you know, ideological. Uh, and then last year uh, during the, the George Floyd rioting, she mm-hmm. sent out a really aggressive, uh, very unpleasant letter to the whole school community, basically accusing the school of being racist and uh, and that black kids didn't feel comfortable there. And she used so many words to describe how they didn't feel comfortable there. 
and and and, and you know the school needs to you know uh, proceed with anti-blackness and they have to you know, we're fixing anti-blackness with you know hiring more more black faculty more black students more black scholarships anti-racist training for everybody this and, and it was just kind of it was a very aggressive letter that made a lot of parents upset because it was it was kind of not true i mean the school's just it's a very warm inclusive school i mean there's no bullying that i've ever seen i mean the kids all get along i mean there was one kid a couple of years ago who went on a swastika rampage and they they booted his ass out of the school yeah and uh, and you know so this was like it, this letter did not reflect what the school was and it really and it was one, it, it was a final moment where i was like i should just say something but i didn't like most parents you just kind of like well i don't want to rock the boat i don't want my kid to be you know punished by either teachers or his peers so i'm just going to bite my tongue and write it through so anyway then comes june this year school's yeah. ending there's about a week to go and a teacher steps forward as a whistleblower um, Dana Stangle Plow, she comes forward with a video and documentation that uh, is up on the, it's a website for, it's a foundation against intolerance and racism. Okay. Is, it's, it's fear for fear for all.org. Okay. So she comes forward as a whistleblower and basically, you know, and resigns in this video from the, she offers her letter of resignation and she explains, um, you know, what the school has been doing. And that's when I realized, oh my God, I thought this, you know, the, the lady that hired the diversity, equity, inclusion lady, I thought she was doing all this surface stuff and it was like, okay, you can just deal with it. But I, I didn't understand the level of penetration into the school, into the faculty and into the curriculum. The, the reality of, and, and let's even remove the label of critical race theory from it. And let's, and let's just say diversity uh, interventions or, or, or whatever, okay. you know, I think that that's probably something that I think is more, uh, uh, you know, can, can cut more to exactly what we are talking about, but somebody who's brought in to say, okay, the, the concept of schooling has been broken and that is creating more races that feed our society. And so we need to attack this at the root, the root being schools, the, the uh, 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 best education money can buy literally would be at a private school. And so now this person's here uh, in the letter that the whistleblower puts or the video and letter that the whistleblower puts out. Uh, what specifically is she saying the the depths of the the intervention is beyond just showing you know bringing in a couple speakers and uh, uh, helping sponsor a couple groups like how how much is uh, you know the inclusion of this uh, consultant uh, uh, you know brought forward? Uh, well, I mean she uh, she does mention and she also mentioned in person because a lot of parents have spoken with her since that you know they've been dropping books from the curriculum. I uh, like to kill a mockingbird because it's got a white savior narrative uh, the, that students are viewing uh, books now. And the, they look at a book and instead of reading the book, they're looking for who the oppressor is. Yeah. Uh, they're looking for the, the power dynamic in the book. They, uh, you know, she said there was a student who was upset that a poem was written by a white guy, a white male. And it's just, you know, it, it, there's just a lot of that. There's, um, you know, I, I know that kids who have any kind of heterodox opinion or just kind of, would like to speak up don't because they are afraid to. Yeah. And they're right to be afraid to, because I do think there are repercussions to anybody who challenges this orthodoxy. And so the kids learn very quickly to just kind of shut up and nod their heads. Uh, there was a, a class, my, my, uh, my other son's freshman year, uh, there was a class called seminar. It was a new class that they, they removed some academic time for. Okay. And it's an ideology class. 
And it was, uh, I remember that the young, they gave a presentation of what the class was about to the parents. And, you know, it was a young guy and I could just tell from his speech that he was an ideologue. And then he said, uh, we don't teach your kids what to think, just how to think. And I absolutely <laughs> did not believe him not for a second. And when I went home, I pulled up his social media because he was not clever enough to lock it down. Yeah. And I saw exactly what I expected to see. Yeah. And it was this guy who absolutely loathed the country. Uh, it, it was all the buzzwords again, white supremacy, uh, legacy of genocide. He hated Thanksgiving. I mean, it was just like one thing after another. And what, what was really fascinating to me was like, I, I watched him because he was so open on uh, Instagram and everything. He went into, he had gone into med school, pre-med. Okay. And then kind of, he kind of flunked out. It looked like from the, he got kicked out of school for not maintaining a GPA. And he winds up with this degree in basically social justice. Yeah. And, and is now a zealot. And, and it, it's kind of almost in the same way that somebody, you know, gets radicalized by, you know, a, a militant group. Yeah. And then he comes out of this with this new passion to spread his faith. And, and that's exactly what he did. And that's what this class was. And, and, you know, most of the kids just kind of, you know, bit their tongues and, and it did, you know, some of the kids fell for it. Some of the kids, you know, fall for this, this stuff. It's an ideology. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was so fascinating to see his social media feed and how this guy transformed into a, basically a religious zealot who was now proselytizing to the kids. Proselytizing on, on the dime of the school. <laughs> Yeah, on the time uh, of my dime, uh, yeah. And you're not. You are. You are yeah. paying. You are paying for for him to to do that. Now, l- let me uh, uh, give you a response that I'm going to kind of channel through a an AI that I would have that would just generate snarky tweet comments and say right. like, "Oh, God. oh yeah. what's the harm?" Oh, private school father, you know, like sends his kid. What's the harm in having a few of these ideas after, you know, decades and decades and decades of of non-inclusion of these ideas? What's the harm? It's the marketplace of ideas after all. But there is no marketplace. I mean, there's there's one item being sold. Yeah. There's no diversion from it. It's 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 one opinion and you either accept it or you shut up. Yeah. And, or, or suffer repercussions. And uh, and it's very clear. I mean, it, there's you know, when they, they say diversity, it's not diversity of ideas. Yeah, it's diversity of people who accept this particular worldview and this ideology. So that from, from a parent's perspective is is kind of the 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 hammer. It's not necessarily that there is a a a conversation about, you know, uh, anti blackness that right. is had. It is that. There is an orthodoxy, and if you do not follow it, then there will be repercussions. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, and there there is no discussion. It's the, this is how the world is. This is what it is. This is what it is. This is what it is. No questions. Good. <laughs> so you're yeah. not allowed to, and you know it, it's frustrating. Uh, you know because and you know they they people you know make these claims. Oh, they, you know you just don't want history to be taught, and that's just absolutely not true. You know, history, every country has its dark past and it should be discussed. We should talk about slavery and internment camps during World War II and and every other bad thing. This and how can Thomas Jefferson, you know, be for freedom, but also have slaves, all things worthy of discussing. Yeah. But this is not what this this ideology is, is that America is fundamentally rotten from the from the bottom up. Um, and, and that everything caters to you know the white male and everything and, and you know everybody is oppressed except for the white and it, it's it's incredibly divisive and incredibly toxic and I and I've witnessed it you know from the school I've heard my kids talking I you know my son you know was telling me how he you know he got yelled at by a kid because he got there were two girls with similar names of both of Asian descent or Southeast Asian descent they're Indian 
Yeah. And they had similar names, similar complexion, similar hair. And he got her name wrong, which is a completely normal, innocent thing, you know, to call a person by the wrong name, you know, if it's a couple of letters off. And they're, you know, the kids are taught to take offense to that. That's a microaggression. Yeah. And and kids, you know, so anything innocent is is now something that, you know, the kids should feel bad. You know, my son felt terrible because the girl got upset at him. He's like, oh, what did I, you know, I, what, I just was trying to call her name. And and the, one of the things that the uh, this woman was pushing for, the DEI lady, uh, was for a system of reporting, uh, anonymously reporting these microaggressions. So if you okay. can imagine your young kid walking down the hallway and then a teacher comes out, a person of authority comes out and says, could you come here for a second? I need to talk to you, Justin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you hurt somebody's feelings. Oh, whose feelings did I hurt? I can't tell you. Uh, but they were very upset at what you said. What did I say? I can't tell you. Yeah. But I don't want you to do it again. Give me a break. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. And that was one of the things that Dana, the whistleblower, came out with. She came out with a this woman that, that held the, uh, the DEI lady, held a workshop for the faculty. And that's where I realized how, how deep it had gotten into the faculty. And I was a workshop about, OK, what do you think about your last, you know, this year, year's worth of workshops? What are, you know, what are you going to do? And one of them was like work to deprogram white identitarian boys. I mean, that was the actual quote. I, I'm going to work to deprogram white identitarian boys. In any, any other circumstance, that would be sound racist. I'm going to take the Jew out of people. Yeah. I'm going to do this. You know, give me a break. And, and I, I'm looking through these comments and they're on the FAIR website. So anybody can see what some of these comments are. And one was, well, we don't need allies. We need co-conspirators. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> and these are the people we are paying money to teach our kids. And this administration has willfully kind of embraced what it, this very toxic, very divisive ideological movement. And I just don't know why. Well, I, I, I think it's, I guess on, on some level, if, if I'm going to be an outsider, if it is a, a private school, then you are doing this for two reasons. You are, you are operating as a private school for two reasons, because you are producing people or you are producing young adults that do well. And so therefore everybody else that's coming into the community is either sending their own kids that when they have kids to this same private school or creates a good reputation. And well, I guess that's really just it. And then uh, the, the, uh, I guess this is part of that, like that, that you want to, you don't want to be producing racist people. Uh, but I guess that would also yeah, presume I mean, that like, that you have been producing racist people into the right. world for yeah. however long the school's been in existence. This school produced Anthony Bourdain, you know, give me a break. Noted racist, racist Anthony Bourdain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Brooke Shields. Noted yeah. racist, Brooke Shields. <laughs> uh, you know, and another thing that the whistleblower alleges that is that the head of school came out twice and said to the faculty, I would fire all the white faculty and replace them with people of color if I could. And that was a that's a hell of an allegation. Yeah. And it has yet to be addressed. The school has actually not said a thing. So, all right. Yeah. Let's get into the, 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 who, what, when, where, and why of it. Like, uh, there is the inclusion of this, uh, a diversity, uh, interventionalist, and then there mm-hmm. is a whistleblower who resigns. So, so mm-hmm. she, uh, puts her name on it and then walks out the door. What has the school said? And from the, the, uh, parental community, is there a, a fight amongst the parents or is this just total silence? Uh, I mean, the school has said nothing that they acknowledged uh, the evening. Something came out in the New York Post. They acknowledged it at one forty five in the morning that something came out in the New York Post. They didn't talk about it. 
and they've yet to say anything. And so parents are furious. So exactly what happens is what happens at every other school where this has happened. Yeah. And a lot of the independent schools in New York, this has happened. Uh, The parents start networking behind the scenes and getting together. And everybody's kind of wants to say something to do something, but they want to be anonymous because they're afraid of repercussions against their kids and against themselves. They don't want to be called racist. But of course, you know, this ideology already assumes you are racist. So, I mean, why even bother with that? Um, and so they're, you know, everybody's frantically networking, texting, uh, trying to create groups and emailing one another, trying to figure out what to do next, because they really are held captive in a way. You know, John McWhorter, uh, you know, was saying, you know, you should pull your kids out of the school to, to all the parents. And but it's like, well, it's not that easy in June. Yeah. You know, it's when you it's one thing if this happened earlier in the year, maybe. But, you know, everybody's in between a rock and a hard place. Uh, but they're furious. They're fu- I mean, they're. They're furious that the school has not addressed it. Yeah. Uh, they're furious that this has been going on really unbeknownst to a lot of the parents. I mean, it's been very kind of secretive. And, you know, books being dropped from curriculums, things like that, courses being modified. It's uh, it's certainly uh, going to come to a head, I would imagine. You know, because I, I, would, I you know, Yeah, sorry, go ahead, finish your... No, just, you know, because people are, you know, the parents are furious, they're all talking. Uh, you know, what parents are looking for is one centralized network where parents from every school can kind of get together and be like, here's my experience. Here's what I learned. Here's, and we don't have that now. It's very fragmented. Yeah. I would presume that, that you as, as a father just want your child to get through school in the best way possible and the happiest way possible so they can uh, move on with their lives, uh, not being a father and only relying on my own, you know, memories of going through school. The one thing that I would say for, as an outsider is that if I, if, if, if school now is much more ideologically rigid and, and before where I, I, you know, even in the moment, I'm like, Oh, my, 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 my teachers are probably a little bit more liberal than, my parents or my grandparents are like, if now that is even more so is the natural pattern for kids to then rebel or, 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 or reject that is, is this maybe a, 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 a course correction happening and over squeezing by an ideological uh, uh, force that then leads to a backlash? Yeah. And in, in a way, I, I think they're, you know, especially for, for, you know, straight white males, in the school, I, you know, they feel that it is open season on them. And so, you know, they build up this kind of, um, you know, defense mechanism and, yeah. you know, and they, you know, because they, because it is open season on them really. And uh, everybody else is in an oppressed group. You know, everybody else has an identity as, as an oppressed group. And these poor kids are sitting there being told that, you know, they're the oppressors by virtue of their skin color. Yeah. And I mean, it's a phenomenally racist uh, thing. And, and it's just really it's frustrating that intelligent people uh, running these institutions thought that this was a good idea. And it's really mind boggling that these these people um, are doing what they're doing and also have, you know, the arrogance of not responding to allegations. The, I mean, I'm assuming probably because they're, they're afraid that there's a, an audio recording of the head of school saying this. So they don't know how to defend themselves because if he says, I never said that. And then the audio comes out, well, then that's even worse. But, um, you know, it's just the the fact that we can just do what we want. We can change the curriculum. We can uh, start force feeding ideology onto the kids and there's nothing you can do about it. Just shut up and pay. I wonder also for the school, 
what is the backlash? All right. So let's say, all right, let's, let's lay out the school's options, right? right. You can either fire the interventionalist and say, uh, this has gone too far and internal discussions have uh, progressed further than we have led on to the parents. And so this is a, a, a situation where we're going to go in a, in a different direction and either we're going to hire somebody else in that same position, or we're going to discontinue that position. Or yeah. you say, the interventionalist is more important than this teacher. This teacher was the malcontent and, yeah. and we are glad she is gone. Uh, also it's uh, uh, whatever illegal to record us. And so we, we <laughs> don't want to acknowledge, you know, whatever she did there. Uh, well, uh, I'd say that you know, she's a, she was my son's freshman year English teacher and she's great. My only grudge is that she didn't put him in his, in honors. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so but uh, no, uh, but no, she's a good teacher. She's been there a long time. And she was smart enough to get a letter of recommendation right before she resigned that spoke about her in glowing terms. So there's actually smart. no way the administration could turn around and say, oh, yeah, she was no good. They glowed about her for multiple paragraphs of what a great teacher she was. Uh, I know my son really enjoyed her. I know other students really enjoyed her. She's been receiving letters from students saying thank you for speaking up. She's been re she's been receiving letters from parents saying thank you for speaking up. Um, so. You know, I, I, the, uh, the funny thing is the, the diversity equity layer, the, what, do, what do you call it? Diversity in, interventionist, which is yeah. a great term. Uh, she has moved on to the American School of London. So she is oh. exporting. She's an exporting her ideas. They've hired a new guy and his, his job is they've added, they keep adding letters. So now it's diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And I'm not sure what belonging means. Belonging. Um, compared to you know, inclusion. So we'll, we'll figure that out as we go along. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I don't know what the, you know, the school really needs to have a, a come to Jesus I yeah. think, and be like, listen, because I mean, you know, this stuff's in the faculty, you know, this is now, you know, they've hired new faculty who are activist ideologues and, and that's going to affect the, the academics. It's going to affect the curriculum. I guess that's my, probably the larger, the larger issue, because it, it, in my mind, what, what's shocking is I understand it in media. I understand where media leadership makes decisions based on even a small, maybe possibly not even representative sample size of social media because people will be mad at them, right? Or yeah. press, or they'll get uh, uh, tortured by the press because nobody is more sensitive to press coverage, ironically, than people who are also in the press. But like, <laughs> uh, with private schools, I, I can't imagine an institution that has the ability to be more our way or the highway than yeah. a private school. A private school is like, all right, we got to talk to what? 200 families maybe yeah. at any given time. And it, let's get quorum with the 200 families and, and then go forward. Whatever the will of the families are should basically be the will of, of, of the private school. And let's say a bunch of people complain on, on Twitter. They're not paying tuition. Like who cares? Right. I mean, and think, I mean, you know, there are alumni now uh, who have, you know, who are completely flustered and, and upset and, and they're saying, you know, where the, you think they're going to, people are going to keep donating after they leave the school that, that, you know, told them for four years, how crappy they were. Yeah. They told them for four years, how lousy their country was. Uh, you know, I don't think they're thinking ahead. And, 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 the, and the thing is we have the higher education as a model of, of what happens. We've seen what some of these Ivy leagues are, are, you know, hurting as a result of going off the deep end. And I'm surprised that these smarty pants in the, in these you know, running these private schools don't see that. 
Yeah. Well, I would also uh, imagine creating a billions dollar uh, 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 debt bubble for degrees that have proven to be fairly useless also hinders the ability for people for these uh, poor, poor uh, collegiate institutions to fundraise in the way that they might have in the 70s and 80s. Sure. Uh, uh, But yeah, I, I, you know, the, the. I'm really glad that we had this conversation, mostly because uh, uh, normally you are a, an extraordinarily funny and quick-witted guy. But what we have gotten is pure bile and anger on there's this. There's been because no this funny. Is obviously, very very personal for you, and and I do wonder even if you are in a position where you genuinely believe that there are diversity issues that can be brought more to the fore and illustrated more to the fore. Uh, uh, in a way that creates a better society, it doesn't seem to me. And again, I'm uh, uh, not of uh, identifying of any uh, a particular oppressed group, and nor do I have kids. But like, it doesn't seem like it's working. It doesn't seem like, <laughs> like we're creating a more. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, maybe a more aware world, and maybe the argument is that as we become more aware, then we we we, we create a more uh, uh, harmonious society. But uh, boy, does it seem like we just have all the the, the pain and none of the benefit. Yeah, I mean, it uh, it honestly it feels like like years and years of progress have been squandered. Of uh, you know they they you know because colorblindness is considered racist so like in this ideology so I mean you know the idea that you can just be colorblind is not good enough and and yeah it's I think it's it's terrible and I think it's I mean it's really divided up the student bodies I mean, because you have kids who are you know now activists and and subscribe to the ideology and 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 combat with kids who don't I mean it's it's a very very toxic and divisive ideology and it, it's it's a shame because I think it's it's really bad for the children's experience at school. So I guess that maybe you know the 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 two elements as the online conversation about critical race theory I believe has gotten dumber and dumber. Oh is it's that it's pointless. It's so stupid. It's so it, stupid. The 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 one side of it was uh the the conversation that nobody's having is part of why I wanted to have you on, which is like parents wondering whether or not their kids are being led astray and not uh, uh, either even on the base level of, I don't understand what the point of this is. Like, like if, if, if somebody was just trying to teach algebra by only using pictures of dogs, you would be like, okay, I don't remember learning algebra with pictures of dogs. I don't get this. Can you please explain to me how we get from A to B and how my child's going to be better at algebra than I was because of this new uh, way to go. And then I think what, what you've really hit on is, is this other idea of, are we losing a core tenant for which, uh, you were raised on and and I was raised on even being a, a little younger than you, which is, this is a colorblind society. This is the point of what America is, is that you can leave behind uh, uh, burdens that are created over centuries and centuries and centuries in, in the old world. And here there is an egalitarian dream at, at the very least. And even when we've done wrong by it, the point is the uh, uh, the larger goal that, that that we have. And that is being subverted. Yeah, I mean, it, what really obsessed me is that, you know, they they they, they talk about this country like, like it is just the, the worst place, the most racist, the 
uh, most oppressive place on earth. And you know, then answer me, why do people from all over the world want to live here? If we are so structurally unsound and racist and terrible, why is the border filled with people who are dying to come here and make a better life? Why would people from Asia, Africa, South of everywhere just want to live here so badly if we are, as these people say, such a terrible, uh, racist, oppressive society? And they can't answer that because we're not. It's a really yeah. good country. And I traveled a lot. I've been around the world. And we're very, very, very lucky to live in the United States. You know, I've, I've been to countries in Africa and Asia and South America. And, you know, there's very few countries I'd want to live in. And uh, we don't appreciate what we have. And I think that's a huge problem. And to have people, people telling the kids that it's just a rotten place uh, is, is really, you know, it's upsetting. You know, they, it's, it's, it's just such a, a misanthropic worldview. As opposed to the, the, the worldview that we, I think, should all subscribe to, which is multi-ethnic, exciting, as best laid out in the Fast and the Furious franchise. Uh, uh, we're just all, <laughs> we're all together as yeah. one people racing for pinks and yeah. trying to beat Charlize Theron, who has increasingly bizarre haircuts. What happened to Melting Pot? You know, what happened to everybody getting along? You know, and that's, I remember those conversations, even when I was a kid that like, I remember watching a video that for whatever reason is stuck with me, that was trying to change that idea even then. And this is in the, in the late eighties, early nineties, that it was like, oh, we used to think of America as a melting pot. Then it was a cartoon illustration of a bunch of people from different nationalities all jumping in. And then we all came out American. And now what we want you to think of America is as a toss salad, which is, I can't imagine if they tried to put that in a video in, in our Chris modern Rock world. routine. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Post Chris Rock. I don't think that they'd be able to use this phrase. He ruined but, it. <laughs> but it was a bunch of people jump. So the bowl was America and everybody jumping in was still Mexican or Russian or Polish or Chinese. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I don't know. I mean, I guess the other the other side of it for me, and and this is something that I do very much believe that America's self-loathing complex, for which I think we have a very, very, very robust self-loathing complex, which is like kind of the 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 definition of America is our pride matched with our ability to hate ourselves right. uh, is kind of our strength in that, like we do when awful things happen, it often gets resolved within a generation. Like, like kids see their parents doing something bad and then it, it changes. Like, and that's, that is rare. It's rare in, in societies. And maybe it's because we are a young society. We're an even younger superpower. Uh, uh, and, and money has kind of like exploded here. But I, I do wonder what that line is of like, okay, well, when is it, is it ever too far? Like for us to to be critical of 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 America, and it sounds like at least for you as as a parent, the answer is yes, and it's it's happening right now at my kid's school. Yeah, especially when it's when it's only critical. I mean, when there when there's there is yeah. no discussion. It's like here. I mean, when my my eighth, when he was in eighth grade, his his reading list last year, uh, I, I called it you know, America sucks because it was Howard Zinn. Yeah, who, you know, you might know Wait, as in eighth grade. In eighth grade. Wow. Uh, yeah. I didn't even, I, I didn't have, I didn't have uh, uh, teachers trying to push off Howard's in on me until at least high school. That's there you go. 
Yeah, they're starting them early. You got to get them early. Uh, and I'll, you know, Ibram X Kendi. Okay. You know, and uh, there was one other. And I mean, the only the only one I, I saw on this list that was just not America Sucks was John Lewis, the biography of John Lewis. Okay. Uh, but it was legit. just like I was like, how about you know something you know, just that's not all gloom and doom. Uh, Zinn's tough. I I kind of feel like like look. I, I think there's a place for Howard Zinn. I, I, there I think, absolutely yeah. is. Yeah, sure. And yeah. you know, uh, and you, but like bring that into the curriculum. Discuss. But this is the problem. You know, you bring Howard it, Zinn it, in. It, it, it's it, it's like it's like watching Spaceballs before Star Wars. It's like like you need to <laughs> you need to have a basis. Like he's even the concept of his writing. I, I can't imagine if you're just reading Howard Zinn. And 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 then you're like, oh wait, like I don't know. It feels like you need the thing that he was countering to even yeah. get Howard's in. I guess. All right, here, here's here's how we'll get you out. Where do you think it ends? Do you think that there is any kind of reckoning that comes to your your child's school before your child leaves? Um. Well, I'm pulling my child out. Oh, so no. <laughs> um. But uh, you know, I I do I think. Parents are are much more empowered now, and they're, they're seeing this has been you know, it's kind of like a domino thing. They've seen once this happened at one school and another school and another school, and they're starting to get the sense that something's amiss. And and you know when this stuff comes into sunlight, it doesn't hold up well. Yeah, you know it, it's it's um, there's not a lot you know keeping it together except the fact that they don't let people discuss it, and you know they they come down hard on anybody who challenges it. But as more and more people challenge it. Uh, it, it starts falling apart. And I think at some point they're going to say, okay, you know, we're going to stop doing this. We're going to stop doing this. You know, I, I think the answer is just take, you know, stop pushing ideology. It's, it's the same way. Yeah. If somebody started pushing creationism in my kid's school, I'd be furious or Scientology yeah. or Catholicism, any kind of belief system uh, that did not belong there. And that you know, shut down any dissent, you know, that's not acceptable in a school public, private, or anything. Or, or, or otherwise, because it gets, yeah. it interferes with the core mission of education. Yeah. I, kids just need to learn. And, the, and especially the difference between your, with an apostrophe and your possessive. <laughs> and they're, they're, I they're. mean, if anything has, if anything on the, the, the inter, a lesson that the internet has taught us, it is certainly that basic grammar written very fast on phone keyboards is very important gone. in our modern world. Yes. Uh, Brian Sack, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, uh, this has been very illuminating. Thank you, Justin. The Politics, Politics, Politics podcast is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to contact uh, Brian Sack, who was our guest today, you can you can go ahead and do so at px3guest.com. You want to email in, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Our Twitter is px3tweets. Our Twitch is px3live. And our podcast website, if you'd like to share it with all your friends, is px3podcast.com. Of course, you can get all of our merch, including our COVID shots equals body shots, tank tops at politicsmerch.com. You can support us with one-time direct payments to paypal.me slash payjury. Our Venmo is justin-young-20 and our cash app is px3cash. 
If you'd like to send anything physical to us, you can do so at P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, the only way that you can get bonus content is to head on over to our premium subscription option. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. The $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news we missed during our free podcast schedule. So in addition to Wednesday and Friday podcasts, you are going to get a Monday podcast that comes out at midnight on Monday, covering all the narratives of the Sunday shows that gives you the primer that you need for the week's worth of political hoo-ha. And then, of course, our Thursday show, which is the one that has produced the latest in the calendar. So if anything is going to happen and be covered, it is covered in or late in the in, in the week. It's going to be covered during the Thursday episode. Of course, the $10 tier gets you everything I just said, plus your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic $10 tier, including... Headphones Neil, Dr. G, the other half of Whiskey Wednesday, Idris, the Government Unfiltered Podcast, 100 Mile Runner, Berkeley, Stephen, Kathy Mack, Zombie Doc, D, really? Methuselah, Honeyfuckle, The Gen, Middle-Aged Mike, Dotcom Drunkie, Calamity, Zap, D, Laser, Lord Scale, De Quince, Anili the Third, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Utah, Jimmy, Montana, Chad, David, Snuffies, Off Route 44, Charles, Olin and Angela, D.L., Miranda Janelle, persons familiar with the matter, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Frozen Summers, Jay Pink, and Andrew, you want to join their ranks? You head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. We've got a new installment of our uh, uh, retrospective on negative ads. And this one was a find. I had I had to dig deep in the record bin to find this one. We're going back to election night eve, nineteen eighty four. Walter Mondale's doomed campaign runs a five minute ad, and we're only going to focus on the first minute. It involves Crosby, Stills, no- <laughs> Young, and Nash. Uh, it involves a bunch of children and a bone crushing reminder that we are all going to die and the government doesn't care. Oh, yeah, it's a good one. Till then, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying uh, some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.